Where is InsureTech headed next? This is where indie agents own the answer. Welcome to the Vertifor Insurance Podcast. Let's go. Welcome back to the Vertifor Insurance Podcast. Pumped to have you guys here today because we have a very special guest who is going to step back and give us a high level on the industry, the independent channel, um, the health of the channel that we all work in and and serve every day. Um, it's always important, you know, we do a lot of podcasts and, and talk about a lot of different unique niche topics, uh, like how to improve specific workflows or different tech stacks that agencies are using. But stepping back and saying, hey, is the industry that we all thrive in today, is it gonna be around? Um, for those of you guys who are looking to sell, is, is 2023 your year? Is this the year that you should be seriously considering um, passing off your agency um, and, and finding a new, uh, you know, passing on the torch of, of your business to someone else? Um, so the expert that we have in-house is the one and only. Mark Kreitz from Reagan Consulting. And just a little background on Mark, which I'll let him introduce himself in just a sec. Uh, But Mark actually joined Reagan Consulting in 2017, and he joined as a partner of the firm. So if there's a guy to talk to, it's Mark. Um, He is steering the ship in, in many ways over at Reagan Consulting. He works primarily with clients on mergers and acquisitions, so we're gonna deep dive on M&A activity in 2023, uh, agency valuation, and strategic consulting projects. So I'm very excited to welcome Mark. How are you, sir? Doing great, thank you, Sid. Great to be here and thank you for having me. Wonderful, well, let's step back into the history of Mark for a sec. I know you're at Reagan today uh, and you've done a lot of great work over the last few years, but what led you to choose Reagan Consulting? Yeah, thank you for asking. Um, I uh, actually grew up in the industry. My dad and my brother operate an independent insurance agent uh, in Dallas, Texas. So I grew up in the industry, went to uh, University of Georgia and uh, got my risk management degree there along with banking and finance and ended up going the finance route after college. Uh, did investment banking for a few years private equity for a few years and then found my way to Reagan. Uh, Bobby Reagan and his oldest son and I were uh, good college friends. And so that was my introduction. But uh, as you said, been here since uh, 2017 for six years and uh, glad to be here. It's a great, great industry to be in and uh, thankful uh, that we're in an industry that we are. I love that you've got the background on the insurance agency world. You did the work, came from the ground up. That's awesome. Um, so I, you know, with with Reagan Consulting, I know you guys do a lot of different things. But um, you know, for those who aren't familiar with one of the the big efforts or initiatives that you guys work on every year, you are you put out a study called the Best Practices Study in collaboration with the Big Eye. First off, how long has this been happening? Because I, I, ever since I've been in the industry, not that I'm that old, but uh, we'll pretend for a sec. Uh, what, what, how long has the study been published? It was created in 1993 uh, in partnership with the Big Eye. 
And so we have been doing this for 30 years. Uh, it's a study we publish annually, uh, and we collect data from over a thousand agencies every year. Uh, well, every three years we do so, and then at, once you're nominated as a best practices agent, and every three-year cycle, you are then publishing your data every year through our data collection file that we do now digitally, uh, which is which is great. Uh, no more Excel files. We are at Reagan trying to digitize our business environment uh, and help make us more efficient. So we are uh, doing that with Enable, a, a third-party partner, but um, in, in partnership with with folks like Vertifor uh, and 18 other sponsors help fund this initiative we do every year. And so uh, it's been a uh, it's been a great source of information for us to allow us to be a leading consultant for the industry and to help agents and brokers around the country grow and perform. Mm. I know uh, I know this wasn't something we talked about in the discovery call, but I'm just curious, since you landed the 1993 answer out of nowhere, I'll throw this <laughs> one your way too. Um, how much has the study changed? I mean, I know, I know you've been with the firm since 2017, so maybe if you just want to speak back to that year, um, but that's a long time to be running. I mean, we're, all, we're, we're at 93, uh, 03, 13. Yeah, we're th decades, 30 decades. 30 years, so, yeah. so has the study, I, it sounds like it's changed in the way that you, you know, ingest data and are storing data and, you know, but, but the data that you're looking at is more what I'm wondering. Yeah, much more expansive. Um, mm. You know, I think the key metrics have, have remained the same. Uh, organic mm. growth, profitability, how you measure new business, which we'll talk about uh, a little bit later, I know. Um, but all the fundamental characteristics of an agency, uh, the profit and loss statement, the balance sheet, all of those key, key things, production information, we've been tracking that since the beginning. But I think we have morphed into there's more compensation metrics by uh, by type of, of, of employee. There's much more data on production information, specialization by industry, line of business uh, data, account size information. So we have just drilled a little bit deeper every year. Uh, and I had that that year off the top of my head because this year was the 30th anniversary. And so. Uh, it was fresh, uh, but I think it's 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 been a it's been a great a great again uh, study for us, um, just as a benef beneficiary from getting the data, but also uh, hopefully for the agents and brokers that participate. Mm. Well, uh, I, I believe that you guys are expanding your data set because it is quite a long study. Uh, when I've looked at it, you know, you're you're not sitting down for your Sunday cup of joe for 15 minutes going through the best practices study. You've got to carve out, you know, an evening or a couple hours to really sift through the insights that you guys provide. For those who haven't read this study, you know, what what would you say are the key highlights, the impact insights? Um, and and specifically as it relates to the health of the indie channel, right? I mean, what are you seeing at that high level as far as challenges that the industry is running into and just, you know, things that agencies should be aware of as they're looking at the longevity of their business and thinking about it being multi-generational? Hmm. 
Yeah, you know, it's it's been probably the best two-year run in the industry's history in the last two years, crazy. in 21 and 22. That's crazy. Profitability is at all-time highs. Mm -hmm. uh, organic growth is at all-time highs. We've had records in both 21 and 22. Uh, and really, part of that profitability increase is really as a result of COVID. Um, COVID helped, you know, probably kick us where we needed to get kicked in terms of managing certain expenses that may have gotten out of hand or just the business changed, the model changed from how you sell and how clients consume sales uh, just almost changed overnight, it seemed, in 2020. And so the overall expense structure is starting to, 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 to morph a bit and become more remote. And so obviously expenses as a result of a more remote work environment changes and helps generally profitability. At the same time, all that's happening and profitability is rising, all things being equal, organic growth, um, the like kind of lifeblood of, a, of, a, of an independent insurance agency has been hitting all time records the last couple of years. And, and, and a lot of that really, from our perspective, it's kind of a, a it's kind of a perfect moment where we are in a hard market and have been. This is the fifth year in 23 that we are in a hard market in terms of property and casualty rates rising. I saw a release this morning, uh, I think from CIB, that, that Q4 of 22 had still positive rate exposure growth, but it was the lowest it had been in a number of years. And so is that hard market stopping anytime soon? Uh, you know, we'll see. Uh, inflation can, 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 can impact that as well. But it's been fascinating as profit has risen. Growth has also risen, leading to these crazy, crazy growth and profitability numbers for our clients and agents and brokers around the country. And so, in terms of health, you couldn't have asked for the you know for better metrics that we track in the best practices study. And so, we think today we're as healthy as we ever you know as we ever are. But as you peel back the numbers, it's important to note that we are still in a hard market that 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 the new business potential and opportunity still exist out there. And that's really what we, you know, what we see is the uh, differentiator for those that are even growing faster than the norm, the ability to, to, to write new business. Mm -hmm. So if we could, if we could just dig into some of those numbers for a sec, because at, at face value, I love to hear that we've got almost 10% organic growth. It does worry me to hear though, that it's because of primarily because of the hard market, as opposed to, uh, you know, adding value and, you know, additional value in some way. Because I, you know, what I see the effect being is, and I'd be curious how you guys calculate that organic growth percentage. If I think about my dad, you know, he's got an agency in Florida, he's in the construction market um, and, and nonprofit space. If his, he, he does a lot of paper contractors. And if his guys are seeing this, you know, rise in premiums at some point over a five-year period, they're going to look at him and say, hey, what's going on here? And they're going to they're gonna turn their heads and start looking and shopping, right? So how, I, I guess, are you seeing that there's, a, there's still a really high retention rate? And so, you know, you know, consumers are just saying, well, I trust my agent and I guess that's it, you know, it is what it is at this point and I'll stay put. Are you seeing that people are, you know, shopping and so the growth is over the channel, but not necessarily 
with a you know specific agency, right? The, there's there's still growth across the channel, but that doesn't mean that your agency is safe because you've got to navigate these difficult conversations with, you know, right. these small businesses that are questioning why their premiums are going up. Um, again, I, I just I love to see that number. I just I worry about it at the same time. Yeah, we do too. Um, you know, it's been very positive the last few years, and mm-hmm. you know, I think when we boil down what makes organic growth the 9.2 percent that best practices firm average in in 2022 what you know what were the drivers behind that and uh, you know i don't know if we could quantify for you sid you know seven percent of that was rate we don't know because it's going to be different for every firm and every industry and every you know every geographic area but we do think there are four factors for organic growth one being you know overall exposure for for the risk uh, at hand the rate environment which is what we're talking about right now account retention to your point uh, and the new business. Um, two of those are totally out of your control as an, an independent agent, you know, exposure base and rate environment. If you're in a coastal area and you do a lot of property insurance, chances are your your your, your rates were through the roof or, or uninsurable in some cases. Um, same thing with cyber and DNO premiums. You know, you've seen certain lines of business and geographic areas be more exposed or just be hit harder in those in those situations. Um, but account retention and new business, that's totally up to the agent. And that's where we want our clients, the independent insurance agency channel, to really focus their time and attention because you can't do anything about the rate environment. You know, it's it's interesting, you know, we've had this incredible run. If you go back to the Great Recession in 08 and 09, on average, our, you know the, the 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 general average insurance agency in the in, in, in the country shrunk by by less than two percent. Now we weren't in a really hard market at that point, but when most of the country fell off, you know, fell off a cliff, 30, 40 percent, our industry was pretty resilient. Um, it, it wasn't a soft market. I don't think it was a really hard market, but at the same time, um, that's pretty good. And so even in these tough times, and so we may be entering a recessionary time uh, in, in 23, maybe 24, you know, who knows uh, what the Fed continues to do with interest rates. But if we do enter a time where the economic pullback is real, people feel that in terms of their clients um, and account retention, you know, proves to be tricky because rates are still where they are. Um, that's 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 the test of a true you know a true insurance producer is can you retain the business even in the midst of tough renewals and can you go out and write new business what is differentiating your firm um we can talk about the metrics but i'll 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 pause there no that's wonderful and actually you brought up you brought up producers um and you know their ability to sort of to to keep the relationship right and and sustain that relationship through tough times one of the interesting data points that came out of the best practices study was this statistic around uh, producer recruitment and development. And mm. it, the, the study notes that for producer recruitment and development, it, it actually proves challenging. The reason being that net unvalidated producer payroll, which is called NUP, a measure of producer recruitment and development remained at 1.1% of net revenues compared to 1.2% in last year's study. So we're going down a bit. Bigger Mm -hmm. issue, though, is that a healthy NUP investment would be 1.5% to 2 point, 
uh, to 2%. So even last year, we weren't hitting what we might consider healthy baseline metrics, and, and we've actually gone backwards from last year. So the, the study concludes that agencies should consider redirecting a portion of today's record profits from uh, toward new producer investments. That was a that was an interesting highlight that we're uh, that that we're not, and I wonder why that is, right? Why aren't agencies seeing the need to invest in producers? I'm, I'm wondering if they're like diverting that money towards technology and thinking that they'll run their sales teams more efficiently with less people, um, or if they're really you know if it's a hiring issue. Uh, have you seen any indicators as far as you know why this problem not only continues to exist but seems to be getting worse? Yeah, it's, it, you just hit on said I think the biggest issue our industry has dealt with for as long as I've kind of been been in it, and I think you know others here at Reagan would would say the same thing that hiring effective sales talent is is likely the hardest thing that an agency has to do every year in order to grow their organization. And uh, some are more effective and, you know, than others, but I think it'll still continue to be the biggest issue that our industry faces for the next 10 years, uh, just because having that effective sales organization and the talent within, within your four walls is, you know, the lifeblood of how you grow the, the, the business and having a new business producer skill set is likely one of the most rare skill sets in the industry and you know why they're compensated highly why why they're so sought after but i think last year in particular um the the labor market impacted this greatly i think you know when we hear stories from our clients in central us and you know call it you know kansas or nebraska getting their team poached from a large broker in new york for twice the amount of money that they're making mm. currently and our independent insurance agency client can't, you know, you can't, you can't match that um, just because it's not good fiscal practice, et cetera. Um, that, that is what we saw a lot of last year and not, not that, you know, not poaching, but just this remote environment has basically broke down geographic barriers and allowed people that have more resources, larger brokers to invest more in talent around the country that may not be geographically concentrated to where their office is. And so I think the labor market had a huge deal. The competitiveness around finding those producers is, I mean, that's the, everybody's competing against everybody. And so what differentiates your firm to allow you to invest more of your available cash and revenue in, in producers. You're right, one and a half to 2% is what we view as a healthy mark, uh, which is not a small amount, but to, to kind of redefine your, the metric you cited, NUP, the net investment in unvalidated producers, it's really the the cost that you're carrying over and above what you would pay the, you know, an individual producer at your normal commission splits. Mm -hmm. And so if they're making 20,000 as a normal producer, but you're paying them 50, the net of 30, would be the ultimate NUP, and then you divide that by revenue to kind of standardize it amongst different revenue sizes so you can track yourself versus others. Um, but yeah, the hope is to have that up one and a half, two 2%, because when we see people invest in producers successfully, it's, you know, you can, you can throw a lot, you can swing a lot, you can, you can, you can, you can hire a bunch of people, but if only 10% work out, you know, you got obviously adjust your your plan of attack but 
for those that are doing it on average 50%, you know, batting 500 um, and investing one and a half, two percent on average, they're growing much faster than their peers. Interesting. All right, let's dive into your your niche here with M&A activity. Um, right. So what just from a high high level here, uh, you know, for those who aren't maybe as familiar with how the movements of the M&A space can affect the market, what how, how does that work, right? Just just a conceptual exp- explanation here of okay, we we have mergers and acquisitions happening. We have agencies buying and selling each other. How does that help or hurt the market? I think it can do both. Mm-hmm. It really depends on where your positions. You know, we I was having lunch with a with a client today and you know, we asked him this question is, you know, when you have retailer, you know, retail brokers or wholesale brokers down the street that you do business with or you compete against get acquired by a larger firm, do you view that as an opportunity or do you view that as a threat because the resources and tools that a larger broker can provide this this broker kind of put you guys at a disadvantage? And and, and the answer from this individual in particular was, oh, we love it. And we're remaining independent, but we know that when that happens, uh, we have an opportunity because in many cases, and not all cases, but in many cases, uh, when that acquisition happens, the, the the broker that is acquired may not keep their eye on the ball in terms of the clients and and and, and focus on different things. Could be bigger accounts now that they're part of a bigger organization, whatever it may be, leaving smaller accounts or other opportunities to to brokers that remain independent. That is not always true. The flip side is also true, where the resources and tools can allow brokers that are required to get in the door of bigger accounts, sell upstream, get access to new markets. So I think the the answer to that question is totally dependent on where you are, how you're competing, what what accounts you're going after. Um, and so it can be very good for, for those that are a part of it. Uh, but if those that are remaining independent and, and, and want to keep independent, if you position yourselves accordingly to where you have a niche or you have specific you know, sales folks that are that are focused on a geographic area where there's been a lot of consolidation and you can attack that market because people have forgot about it or not focused on it. A lot of opportunity there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the individual decision that an agency makes, uh, you know, that that makes a hundred percent sense. It can go either way. I think there's an argument for for both decisions where I hear agencies being fearful is and and those that are more in the camp of i want to be independent you know i started this business by my own bootstraps i had to count the number of pens that i had and measure the ink that was in each one of them and now look at where i am today for those guys what they feel is this you know pressure to sell and a concern around you know is it going to be is this channel, this market going to be an environment where an independent business really can succeed when they have, you know, in inter-channel competition with the, the big guys? You know, if we can mm-hmm. all, all kind of stay small to, to medium size, then at least we're, we're on somewhat of an equal playing field. But as soon as, you know, you guys start getting together and, and, and buying each other up, 
how do I win in that environment? You know, how do I continue to be competitive? Um, so it's interesting, and I don't know that there's like a perfect answer to that question, uh, but I'll tell you, as long as I've been in the industry and paying attention, M&A activity has been up, right? I mean, it's always been something that, yep, mergers and acquisition. And I remember getting into the industry, uh, you know, I mean, I've always, unfortunately, always been in the industry, thanks, Dad. Um, but at least paying attention and, uh, you know, always remember thinking, oh, wow, it, there's so much M&A activity that, you know, w w there won't be an environment for the, for, you know, the independent guy. That was 10 years ago and there's, you know, we're still around. So is this a ghost fear? Is there, is there bearing to it? What do you think? Yeah, I think it's a rational fear for sure. And, you know, the two of us have fathers in the industry that have been doing this a long time and have, have kind of weathered some you know certain storms with respect to how how our market has changed but you know it's interesting we did a we did a presentation about this topic uh at our recent big eye function for the 30th anniversary of the of the study um and there were like six things that we 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 thought were um you know, were kind of the differentiators of how you compete against scale mm -hmm. in in today's market. Um, but you know, back to my you know, earlier point, it, it all depends. You know, uh, but the six things that we kind of drew, and we talked about a couple of them. But you know, I think at at, at its core, number one is um, our business is still fundamentally a relationship business, and so if you control the relationship and you treat your clients well and your stakeholders well. And there's nothing that you, you know, you can do otherwise to to enhance that relationship. Relationship still wins many, you know, many times over. Um, there are some cases where you get bigger and the clients get bigger that 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 changes or morphs into a more of a technology play. Hey, what resources do you have? But relationship is still the key backbone of our industry that, that I think will still continue to to win. The second is specialize. Are there industry verticals, lines of business that you do well and you should do more of because that's the lifeblood and, and the best part of what your agency does and how you could compete with a larger firm, making sure you're not being all things to all people, but really focusing on what you're really good at. Easier said than done, but specialization can provide growth opportunities, but also your ability to compete. Um, you know, we've seen the larger brokers use teams to team sell. Team selling has become much more rampant and more of a commonplace in our industry of how producers, producer teams attack client opportunities and new business opportunities when you know you're competing against other brokers. And so, um, teams uh, can be super helpful. Teaming up with the you know somebody down the street that's independent that you can go together internally. How you team up, you know, and go and go team sell. That has really had a great impact on a lot of our, our you know, a lot of our clients. Um, the third is, you know, leverage best practices. You got, you need to be watching your metrics. You need to be watching how you're competing against, you know, your your peers, how you're doing, how you're, um, how you're tracking on growth, new business opportunities, et cetera, your profitability. Uh, the, the 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 fifth would be um, this exploration of networks and clusters that exist out there today. Um, there are many options that can provide additional financial returns to you through 
you know, uh, not to name names, but 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 they can provide additional market relationships, more contingent profit sharing income, and provide additional tools and resources that you may not otherwise have access to. That that can help you compete. And lastly, it's just you know we've dabbled in this a little bit is is just watching technology, making sure that you are you know abreast of what's happening. That doesn't mean you have to go full full freight into investing in a technology firm. That's not what we're saying, but to watch what's out there that can make your business more efficient and more more able to compete against those that have the capital to to to, to invest in stuff like that. So um, that was a long answer, Sid. I know, but it was fresh, and so I thought uh, I thought I'd mention those those things that we talked about recently. I I love that answer, um, and I. You know, if I was to add my own opinion, the, the sixth one, I would say the technology can really help in that area to drive efficiency. Um, I've walked into agencies thinking that they were going to be bigger, meaning have more people um, than they actually are. And it's because of how they're using technology, streamlining workflows, cutting out friction, cutting out unnecessary steps, manual entry, whatever that may be. Um, and at the same time, improving the customer experience, which helps retention and keeps customers happy. So there's a lot packed into each one of those, which I would honestly love to do a whole podcast on now that you've said them. But I want to dig into this question of should you sell your agency in 2023? Yeah. So um, so what, you know, for those, for those agencies out there listening, um, what are the factors that they should consider when you know juggling this question of do i sell in 2023 um and and i know there's a lot of different ways to go about selling your agency you know you can sell into a a larger agency you can um, pass it on to somebody within the agency you can go you know to a pe firm um Mm -hmm. i guess i'd be curious on not that you would want to ever recommend, you know, an agency make a specific decision, but where are you seeing the most opportunity and, and just what are those factors that they should consider when making that decision? Yeah. And I, and I think uh, I may tackle your question about like what's happening right now, mm-hmm. what is happening in 2023 uh, from a market standpoint, because it seems like a lot has changed in the last nine months from our perspective as we live and breathe this every day. Um, you know, the interest rate environment has fundamentally changed in, in, in nine months. And so that does have impact on people that are actively buying because most of these acquisitions that are being done utilize debt in some capacity. And generally, the majority of the, the deals that are done use all debt. All of the 100% purchases of agencies across the country, generally the buyers that are making those investments are doing so with all debt, some equity, some could be mergers, but but debt is is the primary instrument in order to facilitate that 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 transaction. And so, in the last decade, we have seen this just incredible run of M and A activity to points where we never thought it would ever you know get to. But you know, for example, there was almost a thousand deals announced in 2021 publicly around the country in our industry. Wow. Last year, that number dipped into the 600s in 2022. Now, part of that is, you know, 20 and 21 had some tax potential changes on the horizon uh, when when the seat in Washington changed. And in 21, everyone thought, okay, then here's when capital gains are going to change. 
And so people rushed a little bit in that in, in 20 and 21, really, to, to, to accelerate their deal if they were going to make it happen. If the if the capital gains tax ultimately changed on one one of 2022, uh, they wanted to make sure they got it done before that. And so you saw some acceleration of that uh, as, as well. But also you just had this like incredible uh supply of active buyers or demand from active buyers in the industry and some of these active buyers started their businesses you know less than five years ago some of these are newly created entities from industry executives from a prior life now joining forces with a private equity-backed firm to provide financing and go out and, and, and assemble a you know, a, a national or regional organization that can be, you know, a, a perpetuation fix for those that are looking for that option. So that's kind of, you know, what we've seen is just this incredible run. Uh, and yes, the low interest rate environment with easy access to financing, the stock market generally doing the well since the Great Recession, all those things measured up and, and allowed this M&A run to happen. But in the last nine months, you've seen interest rates, you know, almost quadruple, uh, you know, you had something happen last week with Silicon Valley Bank and, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens after that. But, you know, you have this just great economic uncertainty right now of what's 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 happening. Plus, a big part of the M&A market is how the public brokers are doing. Like, how are they valued? Because if you're a private equity backed broker, you know, you use those as a measuring stick of how you would value yourselves. And so, this is Gallagher and Marsh and Aon and Willis and, and Brown and Brown and Baldwin Risk Partners, um, Goosehead, Ryan Specialty. All of these firms are tracked very closely by us and by others in the industry, and in particular private equity-backed brokers that are being active in the space. Private equity has been the most active buyer by a long shot probably in the last 10 years. They, they now do on average about 70% of the total deals in any given year. Hmm. With this change and you know and back to public brokers for a second those those values came down last year as the stock market came down and so those values came down slightly they rebounded at the end of the year as the stock market did a little bit better uh, private equity has to keep it keep an eye on that plus their interest rate market has totally changed and so their cost of doing deals has gone up dramatically the funny thing is the first few months of this year for quality firms that we take to market at Reagan, we've seen the values go up. Values have gone up in the last six months for quality firms. Uh, even in the midst of all this economic uncertainty, the public broker values coming down slightly, interest rates changing. And so, you know, we're sitting around, we're asking ourselves the question is like, if you're still in the market, you know, you, you, the buyer landscape is kind of bifurcated into this private equity buyer landscape is bifurcated into those that have cash and can, can can still deploy it and those that don't because they you know their debt costs and financing costs have risen to a level they just can't sustain that that level of m and activity they used to and so now we're in this position where the buyer universe looks a little bit different but the demand is still there for quality agencies that we partner with and if it's still there and they want to get into a certain market into a certain line of business uh 2023 still could be a great act you know an active year we may not see the craziness of 20 and 21 because of the taxes and, and everything else that was happening and because a few buyers are on the sidelines right now but but really we're we're looking at a, at a year that could be kind of act you know almost as active as last year um and uh the values for you know for for a lot of reasons are still rising for for quality agencies which 
it's still amazing to us, but it's a vote of confidence again that our industry is still super, super healthy and investors want to be a part of it. That's fascinating. So if I was to, if I can, you, let's put it this way, I'm a rookie when it comes to this stuff. So I'm going to regurgitate what you just said so I, know right. I understand. It sounds to me like if you're a buyer, it's just become more expensive to purchase uh, an agency. But that doesn't mean that because it's more expensive, uh, the you know that that there's less purchases happening, or you know that that we don't that people don't want to. It's just uh, there's less buyers in the market able to make these purchases, yeah, I, and so I think that's, yeah, I think that's. I, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, Sid. I, no, go ahead. What I would add on to that is um, I, I think the buyers that are staying in the market mm -hmm. have basically said we are okay with a lower our lower return on our investment for a period of time while the interest rate environment is where it is because we want to stay committed to our M&A growth strategy which is still a key strategy for a lot of firms public brokers private private equity backed brokers private broker interactive so it's still an active strategy for some, not for all, like, like we had in the last couple of years. And so activity is down. Values, though, have held and, and, and in some cases risen for those that are really of quality. And we can talk about what makes your firm quality, uh, you know, uh, yeah. but I think it's, it's, it's a fascinating time for sure. It is. Well, it sounds to me like those players who were in the game to make a quick buck through a purchase, uh, they've been weeded out, essentially. And, and you're really looking at buyers who understand the complexity and have a mature strategy through M&A, which honestly is good if you're selling an agency to them, although it means you got to have your stuff in order because there's no, right. yeah, there's no fudging anything anymore. You need to make sure that, that uh, you know, you go into that negotiation uh knowing what you want and knowing that knowing what's realistic i should say and how to have that conversation um but that that's those all sound like hopeful you know insights i guess so i get to to bleed into the internal factors here what what does make a good agency to you know what 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 should those agencies who are looking to sell what what are they looking at internally to say am i a good purchase for these mature investors yeah. Um, yeah, that, that's a great question. And I think what I would say is, regardless of what you're, you know, what, what you want to do with your firm, if you want to, you know, if you think selling is the only option because you have no perpetuation plan or because, you know, uh, competitively, you're not, you're not in a good place, whatever it may be. If you want to remain independent or, or sell your firm, making your firm more attractive and a better performing firm are the same thing. We think even if, if, the, if the point is to remain independent or to sell, we think doing these things make your firm more valuable in either situation and more healthy. And so um, as I was thinking about this, Sid, um, the biggest asset to a firm that is looking to acquire somebody is really, does this, does this target have a demonstrated track record of, of consistent and maybe over market organic growth. Growth has been the biggest question in, in, in buyers' minds is, is this a firm, especially in today's hard market, it's like it's been a little easier to grow if you can 
solve the retention piece, it's been all things being equal easier to grow in the last few years than it has otherwise because just exposure and rates have, have gone up. And so even without that, can you be a consistent grower going forward after after an acquisition is over? But if you've demonstrated that track record, that is checkbox number one. That's what people want to see. If you're not a grower, people get concerned immediately. It's like, well, what's been going on? What, what Have you not been a part of this market? Uh, and so that's, that's number one. The second is, I think we talked about earlier is, are you, how are you different? Like, are you different? What is your competitive advantage? Is it because you are an expert in manufacturing in Texas and you just do it better than anybody else? Or you're a stop loss self-insurance benefits expert and you do that really, really well. So is it a line of business or a particular industry where you specialize and you just, you can compete against the larger firms because of your expertise? So are you specialized and have a growth track record in that specialty? Could be a lot of business, could be industry, et cetera. Um, you know, there are a lot of you know, a lot of acquirers that are just looking to be in a certain geography. You know, could be pick a big city, or you know, there there are independents everywhere. And if you're in a big city, or if you're in a desirable location for a specific buyer, it could be uh, you know a second tier city or even a small city. But if it's some somewhere that fills a gap that a buyer desperately desperately needs. That could be a differentiator in its own. And so geography and, and the ultimate economic surroundings of what, what what's happening there is 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 important. And then maybe the last thing last thing I'd say is um we talked about NUP, the investment in young producers, you know, how you know, what is the age of your team, the health of your organization, and really are you investing? Are those investments panning out? Is that NUP at, at a level it should be? But another, you know, another metric we did not talk about earlier, which, uh, uh, you know, I meant to, to, to talk about is something called sales velocity. And so as you're thinking about like metrics as the independent agent, organic growth, sales velocity would be number two. And sales velocity may, you know, is a f- factor that contributes to organic growth because it's about new business. But I'll just talk about just just quickly. Sales velocity is a measure of your new business based on what you've done historically. And so if you're a $10 million agency firm, $10 million in commission revenue, and you write in new business the next year a million, $1.5 million. 1.5 divided by, divided by 10, 15% sales velocity. You can write business through BOR, AOR, just new, new business that you guys write. Um, but but a 15% sales velocity would probably put you in the upper echelon of, 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 of firms and brokers out there. The ability to write new business, and in particular, who is writing that new business within your organization? Is it the freshmen, the guys that are 35 to 45? Is it the sophomores, 45 to 55? Is it the juniors, or is it the seniors? And so, as the more junior, or the more sophomore, freshman, and junior talent you have, the more healthy your sales organization is, and that's the age banding of sales velocity you can find in your report. So, those were a few things Sid, that I would say buyers are super eager to see, but also that would be healthy for any organization trying to grow. Yeah. So uh, just as a quick pitch, because we can't not, do you guys help agencies with those few uh, internal factors? I mean, I know you can't go out and control the market, right? You can only create visibility and transparency, but for those interested in taking things to the next level internally, can you help? 
We can, yeah, and 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 uh, you know, we do valuation work, we do consulting work, we do planning sessions. We obviously are active in the M and A market, um, but our our goal is to accomplish an agency's goal, whatever that goal may be. Could be many things. Could be restructuring their shareholders' agreement to allow for new equity programs that they can and recruit new producers and anything like that to help an agency grow. If that's their goal, that 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 is our goal as well. Wonderful. Well, I'm hearing a resounding, should you sell your agency in 2023? Yes, if you're ready, uh, is how That's I right. would sum it That's up. Right. Wonderful. All right, we'll close out with uh, just one last, just, you know, this came up in the last few days and I'm just curious to talk to you about it. Silicon Valley Bank, what do you think? Is this a, is this a like one-off isolated incident that just happened with this particular you know, bank, or is this an indicator that maybe there's a ripple effect here with, uh, you know, with buyer health? Uh, you know, and I guess I see it. Um, I know people are looking at 2007, 2008 and saying, my gosh, what does this mean for the economy? I guess I look at it more as this particular bank was funding technology companies. And so is there any sort of trend with, uh, you know, loaning and, and funding and, and affecting, you know, this sort of having a ripple effect and affecting the, the buyer health that we just talked about in 2024, or later 2023. Yeah, let me caveat what I'm about to say with I am not a bank expert. I'm not a Silicon Valley expert or a tech expert by any means. But uh, we obviously get asked the question, too, by our clients, um, you know, what what what, 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 what would this mean for me? Mm-hmm. Um, and we've talked to regional banking firms that have insurance arms in the industry and they're, you know, they're dealing with their issues as well that, you know, has this created a bank run on all regional banks? No, but but it has impacted them on, in different ways. And so different regulations to come. Um, it'll be interesting. I, I do think, Sid, there'll be some type of ripple effect while it was probably a un- unique event uh there's kind of a fundamental question around is there is is the banking system still healthy and i think they are it's just a matter of um uh, i think i think for svb it was a perfect storm mm-hmm. it was the clients that they had and that was just the nature of where they are and what they were you know who they were doing business with and then this once in a you know couple decades increase in interest rates when they bought bonds at a certain level and had to sell them at another level, you know, it's, uh, uh, it was incredibly dilutive for them. And that was unfortunate timing. Um, But I don't think it's a systemic issue for our clients, your clients, the independent insurance agency channel. If anything, investors in my mind would, would, would kind of think about, okay, what asset class do I want to be in um, with turmoil, potential uncertainty with economic recessions, you know, upcoming potentially. Um, insurance kind of continues, insurance brokerage in particular, continues to just demonstrate very strong fundamentals. And so, if, you know, if we could invest, we would gladly invest. Uh, we can't, but we would gladly continue to invest in the insurance space. Um, uh, but uh, that would be my two cents. So, uh, hopefully no impact, but uh, it'll have some ripple effect, I think, at some point. Yeah, I, I didn't think about the ripple effect being pushing investors to a different market and insurance being another, you know, sort of the next big thing. That's that's inter- it's an interesting theory, which 
uh, you'll have to come back on the podcast later <laughs> this year or next year to see if uh, if your bet holds. So, Mark, thank you so much. I appreciate you coming on, sharing your knowledge, giving us a high level. Uh, safe to say that there's a lot of confidence in the independent channel, and um, you know we look forward to just for those of you guys out there, keep going, uh, you know, keep crushing it. Uh, be intentional, but, uh, you know, we wish you the best. And uh, Mark, we'll look forward to having you on the podcast again. Great. Thank you, Sid. If you haven't yet been to Austin, Texas, between May 7th to the 10th, consider this your official invitation. Accelerate is the largest gathering of Vertifor users from around the country. And no matter if you're looking to be challenged by hearing the stories of successful owners who did things a bit differently, see cutting edge solutions thanks to the implosion of the InsureTech ecosystem, or learn how you can maximize your current Vertifor tech stack. Accelerate has it all. So go to accelerate.netview.org, put it in your phone, put it in your computer, wherever you are, accelerate.netview.org, grab your ticket and join us in the live music capital 